Hey, I'm Stephen Povatter, the lead minister at Central Church of Christ in Little Rock, Arkansas. Our goal as a church is to follow Jesus together. So we gather on Sunday mornings for Bible study at 9 a.m. and worship at 10:15 a.m. And you'd always be welcome to join us. To learn more, go to arcentralchurch.org. Thanks for listening, and we hope to see you soon. Good morning. Hope you're doing okay today. And I, um, you know, I, I we're moving into something new. We're going to spend some time over the next few weeks in a little bit different subject than we've done. We've been in the book of Acts. And, you know, uh, just so you know, if you're new around here, kind of the rhythm that we're sort of shooting for is to spend uh, a lot of time just straight out of the Bible in books like Acts that we've been in for the past few months. And then every once in a while, we need to kind of uh, pull our head out a little bit different and talk about some topics, some themes, and then we'll dive right back in. And I'm looking forward to some of the texts that we're going to dive back into here uh, in the next year. That doesn't mean that when we move into like a thematic thing, into a topical sort of series, of course, that we want to be out of Scripture, but we're going to kind of come at it a little bit differently than just saying, okay, we're in chapter one today uh, and let's go from there. Over the next few weeks, our, our series is going to be called How to Church. Uh, we're thinking about things that we do as a group, as a people together, uh, as we follow Jesus together. That's what uh, the church here at Central is trying to do. And uh, you know what? We have some practices. We have, if you want to think of it this way, we have some verbs that are the things that we do as church. And some of those things uh, may come very easily to us, and some of them are a little bit more mysterious. But I want to talk about some of those fundamental doing, some of those fundamental basic verbs that make up what it means to church, to do church, Okay. And that comes out of a observation that, an observation that I've made over the last few years. And I don't know if you're going to, this is going to resonate with you, but it has become very apparent to me that in the last decade, say, and by that I mean the last three years, which has been at least 10, right? Okay. Where time ex somehow accelerated or slowed down or intensified it's become very clear to me that this churching thing, that the church is too hard. And I don't know that we who are insiders recognize this reality easily enough. That like just the work of doing church and all of those little verbs that are a part of that, I, I don't know if we recognize how hard that is for some people. I, I know that there are our neighbors that sometimes we, we easily say, hey, we'd love for you to join us for worship tomorrow. And we think that we may be asking them something very easy, something that maybe comes natural to us, that something that by the force of habit we've kind of been pulled along into. Um, and the reality is churching, doing church, just the, just the thing, is sometimes so much more difficult than we recognize. And it's not just people on the outside either. I, I want to recognize that there are some of you here today, like I literally know some of you are thinking, yeah, this church thing is really hard for me too, man. And I'll be honest that part of my thinking, I, I hate this feeling, but part of my thinking as I've kind of been working on this and, and trying to develop this 
is that I don't want you to feel singled out. Because the truth is that some of this is going to feel too personal. You're going to be feeling like, oh man, why is he calling out my junk on this? And I want you to know that I'm not. Because this churching thing, if it's too hard for you, and if you're in a season where it's particularly hard for you for some reason, and you think, why is Stephen talking about this week? I had that conversation with him last week about how it was hard. And I want you to know, I've had that conversation two dozen times. Because one of our realizations that we just got to accept is that this stuff is harder for more of us than we realize. And if it's hard for you right now, I mean, I hope some of this is helpful, but I want you just as much to understand that you're not the only person in that place, that there are a lot of people for whom this stuff is hard. One of those scripts for why things have become so hard, one of those plots that has seemed to be played out in so many times is that church is too hard. Doing church, churching, I'm going to make all kinds of weird verbs in this series. I hope that's okay with you. Churching is hard because people, just because people, right? I mean, I know some of you, I, I, I know some of you are thinking like, yeah, like going to church and doing church is fine, except for all the people that are there. Um, and, and that thing is, is like super real because a lot of the sources of difficulty that many of us have accumulated, the, the wounds that still hurt a little bit, and the scars that still itch a little bit, a lot of those are people wounds. They are things that happened with people that hurt us. And it makes it hard to kind of go back into the room and try to figure out how to do all this stuff again. When we know that the people in the church, some fall, fall well short of maybe the ideals that we had for it. In fact, that whole thing about ideals, there's a guy named um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer who was writing in the mid middle of the last century, and he wrote that someone who idolizes like their ideal of a church community, of a community, will necessarily use that ideal against the church. And they'll be so infatuated with the, the ideal that they had that they'll be continually dissatisfied with the reality that they experience in the community becomes impossible for such a person. And I, I, I appreciate what he's writing there, but I also know that we can't just pretend like that people stuff isn't hard. We can't just, you know, run past it. So I want to start off today and start off about churching, and we're going to do some of the, like, really just simple fundamental things. Like, we're going to talk about singing in a couple of weeks. We're going to talk about this table stuff. Some of it are these simple acts of worship that we grew up with, Okay. But I want to start off today with maybe the most fundamental one that we don't even think about as an act of worship or anything like that, but it's, it's peopling. Peopling. And one of my daughters will say, and I won't call out which one, but the, she will sometimes come in exhausted at the end of the day and she's more, a little more of an introverted kid, and she'll say, I have peopled too much today, <laughs> okay? 
And for many of us, uh, you know, the, that whole act of peopling is a tough deal. You may be not aware of how people use that verb, uh, that, that language as a verb now. If you just look it up in uh, Merriam-Webster's Webster, dictionary, you'll see something that, that peopling means to go populate a thing. But I don't think that's what my, my daughter meant um, you know, it's not about the, this is not a be fruitful and multiply sort of situation in the way that we're using this verb uh, uh, here. If you look it up in the Urban Dictionary, which good preachers should always do, by the way, be sure that you don't step in things that you don't want to be treading on. It offers peopling, a, a definition of peopling is this. To people is to socialize, okay, to go, to go carry out social behavior. That's actually the second definition of dictionary. The first one is to the act of tolerating people and their stupidity, including one's own stupidity in social settings. And a lot of us know that that can be exhausting, that sometimes the act of peopling, of putting yourself into a social, social situation when that doesn't come easy to you and it feels awkward for whatever reason, or when the people that you go, the specific people that you go people with just turn out to be turkeys, right? And they do hurtful things, or in, the, in their most basic, they act in ways that kind of grate against us and annoy us and we have trouble with, Right? And that whole constellation of things is why peopling is hard. And one of my thoughts about all this is that one of the main things about why church has become too hard is that we live in a society now where peopling has become harder and harder. And that is mostly because people have grown stupider. I'm just kidding. But our tolerance of people in the way that they present difficulties to us has certainly become, made it feel like we have these irritations. And in that setting, we find more and more that people choose not to go through the hard work of figuring out and relearning what it is to people. That make things, makes things really hard, and it is an, a crazy barrier. It is an incredible barrier for people who want to connect with Jesus, and they even want to think about what it might be to be a part of a church, but they can't get over that obstacle of how hard peopling is. You know somebody like that? I bet you do. And I bet... If you think through some of those names of folks that, man, you really wish they would be more engaged in a church life somewhere or somewhere else, okay? I bet you know somebody that's in that space that that, that whole thing, that part of the reason, it's not because they lost their faith, it's not even because they lost their desire to know Jesus or God, but somewhere along the line, they were in a community that was just too hard for them. Maybe it was too hurtful for them, or maybe they themselves just felt too awkward. Or maybe they didn't feel like they fit in in some way. Or maybe they felt like somehow there was somebody that was out there to out, kind of out to get them and make it hard. Or maybe they had, everything was good. 
and everything was normal and felt like that was, that was their thriving community, but they experienced some kind of hurt. And it just became super, super, super hard to go back. You know somebody like that? Somebody who, for whom peopling has become an obstacle. And it's not just an obstacle for church, but in the rest of their lives, that whole act of learning to people is really more and more difficult. It's part of the reason in our society we know that there is an absolute epidemic of loneliness and an absolute social uh, epidemic of the rise of anxiety and depression, much of which is exacerbated by how hard of a time people have connecting with other people. Because even though peopling is hard, it's becoming more and more evident that peopling is good. It's good for us. It's like a nutrient that when we don't have it, makes it hard for even our bodies to continue to function. And so there's good evidence out there, of course, that uh, being, uh, being, having strong friendships will help you in your emotional health, right? Your emotional health. But there's even good, there's pretty strong evidence uh, that when you are connected with people in relationships, good, solid friendships, that those things enable you to be more physically healthy too. In fact, get this. There was a study that came out recently or the last few years of a, uh, of a group of people that, thought that, that had surgeries, okay? And one of the factors, one of the significant factors in how well they recovered from surgery, I've been thinking about this because I'm looking at getting this ankle replacement. It's, I know it's been an ordeal, but... One of the, the factors of people recovering quicker from things like that was the number of close friendships that they had. You're telling me that when I go under the knife at the hospital, that besides all of the many people, the medical professionals and all of the staff that are going, that are part of helping me uh, heal and recover and all that, that one of the factors of how my journey of healing is going to go is how many friends I have that will call and check on me and be with me in that process. And if that sounds unusual to you, you may not have been in that situation before. But I remember 20 years ago when I busted up my ankle in the first place, I remember Michael Cooper standing beside my bed the third day that I was in the hospital. And I remember him literally holding me up as I was getting vertical for the first time. I remember him being behind me, holding me up behind my arms. And there's more to that story that I can't tell. But that image is in my head. Peopling is good. In the creation story, we have uh, God looking over at all the things he's made, and the refrain is, it is good, is it is good, is it is good, it is good, it is very good. In the next chapter, in Genesis chapter 2, God sees uh, Adam in the garden alone, and he says, that's not good. Not good. 
to be all by yourself in this world. Peopling is good and it's essential. And I don't know where along the line we've had the idea that we could even think about con the concept of our spirituality and our following of Jesus as if we all just lived in, uh, you know, phone booths all by ourselves. Peopling is good and it's essential because churching is peopling. It's at the very center of what it means to be this community, right? Jesus is as he goes about and he teaches people and he reveals things and all of that, well, part of what he's doing is he gathers a community of people who will walk that road together, even though that it was hard for him in so many times. There's a text for us in 1 Peter chapter 4. In 1 Peter chapter 4 and verses 8 through 10, uh, Peter writes this, Above all, listen to, listen to the people in echoes of this. Above all, maintain constant love for one another. For love covers over a multitude of sins. He's, by the way, he's speaking in this passage about uh, what it means for us to live faithfully in the face of suffering, in the face of things that are hard for us, and what it means to be a community that can go through hard things together. Maintain constant love for one another, for love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaining. Like good stewards of the manifold grace of God, serve one another with whatever gift each of you has received. And that space, like the, the practice of a love that is even able to kind of move beyond the sins that we each of us have and the way that we hurt each other. A love that creates hospitality, that makes space for other people in our life without too much grumbling about it. A love that offers, that leads me to offer myself to my brothers and sisters in the community in service, to take the things that God made me good at and to take the things that God uh, uh, gives me to take, to invest in other people, to give that and to offer it as a gift for each other. All of that is what it means to be churching together and peopling. The act of love is right there at the center of it. So I want to give you today, I want to give you three sort of how-to tips for peopling a little bit. And I want to say that I'm painting with a broad brush today, and I hope that's okay. I want to say too, before I get into these, before I move away from this text in 1 Peter, that I'm not giving you tips of how to extrovert, all right? Some of you guys are already, and I know you guys are doing this, okay? Some of you guys are already going, okay, peopling, that's one thing for you, Hovatter. You would be with people 24-7 if you could, and true, that is true. But this isn't about being extroverted. Because this peopling thing isn't just for some of us who are disposed to have that kind of energy. It's about connecting with other people. And there are things that, as an introvert, actually I'm, make me worse at doing this. I need you to know that, okay? I... Sometimes I'm really great. I, I, I don't feel the awkwardness of walking into a big room, but you know what? There are things about my disposition that make me a worse friend too. I can be super flaky. Okay? I, I'm, I'm, I can be super into the people that are in the house and way too forgetful of the people that aren't there that day. There are things about my disposition that like run away with the energy of a space and sometimes I forget to look around the edges. 
This is my confessional part of this, okay? So there's things that each of us in our dispositions have that are hard, some are easier and some are harder. I just, want, I just want to talk about some tips, though, that I think can, for all of us, no matter where we are on that whole spectrum of things, that can help move us forward in the way that we relate to each other, the way that we people. And the first one is to delight bravely. And what I mean by this is we'll never people well unless we learn to take delight in the humanity of the other people that we share community with. Um, last week at the Agape Conference, um, uh, Anthony Walker, who's a minister out in, in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, he said that part of, what, um, part of what he saw in the command to love each other is that we learn to accept, not we don't just love each other because we're, we're good at it, right? But we learn to, loving people means accepting what God says about them. So instead of just treating them on the basis of what we naturally see, we learn to look at them with the eyes of God and realize that that is a person that is like super valuable, super important, and maybe, uh, maybe worth our love and our time, even though we may not see it on the outside. When I talk about delighting bravely, what I mean is learning to look at people and open ourselves up to the experience of knowing the joy of them of knowing what it means to embrace that there's something awesome in, wrapped up in each one of us, okay? There's a study, Van, uh, Vanessa Van Edwards uh, writes about uh, how uh, there, there's a study done in a high school, okay? And the, the, they, they studied like what was making people popular, like what was making people well-liked. And they studied all the different factors, all right? Are they, is it the athletic people that are most well-liked? Is, uh, is it the people who are, the, the, you know, smartest? Are they, they're even, are they the, is it the most attractive people who are well-liked? And, and she was kind of expecting, they were, they were expecting those things to be the key factors. You know, all the things that are the stereotypical factors for popularity in our society. But what they actually found was that the most significant factor for the people that were the most well-liked was that they had the longest list of people that they themselves liked. They were just simply better at liking other people. Isn't that remarkable? One of the most powerful things that you can do to somebody is you can say to them just this simple phrase, I like you. And the action of that, she told me the story, uh, Kelly told me the story the other day that like we had, we had been talking about this and she was in wrestling and um, I think she was just trying to buy time because she was tired of being tackled by this girl. And uh, she, my, wrestling coach, Kelly Hogatter. Um, and she said at one point, she just said to this girl, she just tapped her on the so shoulder and said, hey, you know what? I like you. And they, they kind of brightened up and kind of, you know, that, that phrase of saying to somebody else, I'm open to embracing the good of you. I like is incredibly powerful. It's also kind of risky, isn't it? Like part of the reason this is difficult is because I think many of us try to resist 
opening ourselves to the joy of, of other people because we're not sure that it's going to come back to us. Like what happens if you say to that person, hey, I like you, and they go, hmm. The fear of opening ourselves to really appreciate and enjoy the company of somebody else, but not having it reciprocated. Why this number one is delight bravely, right? Like the world needs people. A community needs people. This church needs people who will kind of get over the fear of that enough to find the joy in other people. When you think about what it means to come into a place, I've been saying over the last month, I've really tried to make a point of saying, hey, it's really better for us, like the church, this experience of having church is better when you're here. And part of what I mean by that is that I am learning, I am training myself, I am really committing to this idea of opening myself so that when you're here in this space, like, it delights me. And I really believe that part of the magic of what it means to people well as a church is to be a community that knows how to delight in the other people that are here. Is there somebody here that just absolutely delights you? Say it, church. Is there somebody here that delights you? Aren't you open to the joy of your brother's Insist you, you just gotta be, or else I'm amazed that you're here. I think there's something inside of each of us that wants this so desperately, even if we don't know how to do it. So I would encourage you be brave in the act of taking delight from the presence of your brothers and sisters. Take joy from the fact that we are gathered together. The second thing is to embrace a diversity of relationships. Sometimes we get so locked into, hey, this is the kind of person I like. And the field of those people from whom we might take delight narrows significantly. When I was about... 15 years old, the Lord Jesus did a crazy thing in my life. He made me move lunch tables. Now, it wasn't like the Damascus Road. I never got thrown off of a horse that I remember, okay? But I remember going through this time in my life where the friends that I had who were all kind of the same dude in three different sizes, okay? All of a sudden, and I, I'm not, I'm not, I don't mean to joke about it, like, all of a sudden, I think Jesus worked in me to start opening myself up to see the beauty and joy of some of these other people that I was around while I was in high school. And so I stopped sitting at the same place in the cafeteria every day. I started bouncing around. And I started hanging out with as many different people as I could find. And in high school, that looked like I would have a great time 
with my friends who were kind of jocks and who we played on the baseball and the soccer teams growing up with together. And it meant that I also hung out with some people who really liked to just kind of be outdoors and go camping whenever they could. It meant that I opened myself up to hanging out at the table with the cheerleader crowd, and I didn't get those cats at all. But I learned to kind of appreciate them. And it meant that I spent a whole lot of time on the debate team. And the debate team was my people. But I learned to see in the other people that there was something really cool and beautiful and neat. And I got to tell you, God opened up to me in that moment something that would be a lifelong trajectory. And I am so grateful to Jesus that in my life today, my friends are all over the map. I mean, I've got friends of all kinds uh, out there. I've got friends who really are into sports. We play fantasy football together. And I've got friends that I gathered with last night to play Dungeons and Dragons with. They're different from each other. I've got friends who love to eat lunch. And I've got friends who love to go to the movies. And I've got friends who lean hard to the left. And I've got friends that are leaning so hard over to the right. I've got friends who are trying to figure out where they're going to get their rent money. And I've got friends who are trying to figure out what they ought to do with all their money. I've got friends who drive up old beater cars. And I've got friends that are so bougie they wouldn't have made it through the French Revolution. All right? I've got friends who read all the time. And I've got friends who would never crack a book. I've got friends that want to listen to the Taylor Swift. And I got the friends that want to listen to the Juice World. I've got friends that want to uh, walk with me out in the neighborhood across the street. And I've got friends who want to just kind of stay home and eat the soup. I've got friends of all different kinds of stripes and sizes. I've got friends with backgrounds that are so different from my own, and I've got friends that seem like they grew up in my own house. One of the things that you can do to grow your spirit of peopling, okay, is learn to embrace a diversity of friendship. Embrace friends that are like you. You know what? There's a lot more people in the world that aren't like you than are. And once you open yourself up to the magic of not just trying to match up your friends like you're trying to create a, a box of crayons that is all one color, you start opening yourself up to the diversity. That thing about taking delight in other people, it takes on a whole new character. When you learn to delight in people's differences, you're going to find a lot more joy in the experience of humanity than when you only can delight in people that line up with your ideas and your hobbies and your experiences. It's part of what I think God is doing with the church and bringing us into a community of diversity and bringing us into a community of people who have those kinds of experiences all over the map. It's a good thing. 
It's a good thing that we have that opportunity to learn to delight in different people. The last thing, number three today, is learn to forgive freely. And I don't know what to say about this one so that it doesn't come across too simple and too easy. Because forgiveness is one of those things that looks so easy to do when you're on the outside of an experience, but when you're in the center of it, it can be so much harder. But I do know this, that part of the difficulty of learning to people well is learning the skill of getting through stuff together. And as long as we are content to sustain the pettiness and to sustain the hurt sometimes, then it becomes an obstacle of what it means to learn to get along. And thinking about forgiveness, I, you know, there's one of those things that like, maybe it's something, uh, there, there, there are a couple of, you know, pitfalls for us. One of them is that um, we, we have a difficulty of forgiving, okay, because we, we just can't get over how big of a, of a hurt that somebody has laid on us. And the second one is when we think forgiving means to just kind of ignore it and pretend like it never happened in the first place. You understand what I mean by that? Some of us think that like forgiveness, the practice of forgiveness is just the practice of like avoiding conflict. Forgive though, to forgive people is an active process that can admit and say, what you've done to me hurt me. And I actively choose to offer forgiveness so that it's not left on your account. And that's different than just pretending like it never happened in the first place, right? When we, when we think forgiveness equals avoidance, it will necessarily lead us more and more and more to avoid the people who we haven't really practice forgiveness with. Forgiveness as avoidance leads to peopling as avoidance. But learning to engage forgiveness actively help us re-engage with the hearts of people as beautiful as they may be who also sometimes hurt us. Forgiving freely Henry Nouwen wrote that, like, forgiveness is necessary for a community who is trying to practice love among imperfect people. That, like, in a community of people who are all still ourselves broken and flawed and have weaknesses, that forgiveness is necessary. It's part of what it means for us to keep coming back to each other. It expands the limits of what community looks like together. So delight 
bravely, to embrace the diversity, and to begin to forgive freely. I know these are, are no small things that I'm offering to you today, but, you know, we can't really avoid it because these three things are also just part of the essential thing that we're doing together. This thing that we say is central, that we are following Jesus together, what is there about the way of Jesus that doesn't devolve learning to delight in other people so that we embrace them for their joy and the thing that they bring? Learning to embrace people who are different than we are and learning to practice a forgiveness that can sustain that love in a longer run. The way of Jesus is changing the way that we relate to people. It changes how we people. It changes what it means to people together. And these three things that I've offered today, I know they're a tall order. But what we're trying to do together here in this weird little church downtown, we're trying to figure out what Jesus is doing to change us along the way. It's easy to say peopling it's just too hard. And man, sometimes it is. And it's easy to say that church, it's just too hard. But those things leave us unchallenged and those things will leave us unchanged. Part of what we're doing in coming to Jesus is opening ourselves up to the gentle, yet real ways that he sometimes shows us the things about ourselves that need to be changed. If it's our capacity to hold grudges, if it's our desire to only appreciate other people in so much as we identify with all the things that they like and prefer. Or if it's our inability to see the beauty of our brothers and sisters. I think Jesus wants to change those things. And I think following him on the way of the cross means opening ourselves up to that. Today we'll close with an invitation song. And what I want to say to you as a way of invitation is that when we come to Jesus on the road and we say, Jesus, we will follow you and we will walk with you on this path, man, Jesus will mess with us. And sometimes the things that he calls us to change are things that will make us profoundly uncomfortable. But they are always for our good. And they are always for the good of the people who we call our neighbors. So today, if you have something that you want to share with the church, or if you want to come and say, I'm ready to follow Jesus on this way too, then we invite you while we stand and we sing together.